Welcome to the Faith Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Pastor Carrick Butler II. We believe today's message will empower you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Here's today's message. Amen. Say, I take eyes to see. I take ears to hear. I forgive everybody of everything. I receive supernatural debt cancellation. The Word of God that I'm about to receive will enable me and empower me to make Jesus famous in my everyday life. You may be seated. Open your Bible to Genesis 14. Genesis 14. The last seven, eight weeks, we've been doing a series called Horizon. We've been talking about not leaving the promised land on the horizon. We said the first generation in the wilderness God brought them to the edge of the promised land. They could literally see the promised land. The promised land was their horizon, but they did not possess the promised land, and they died off in the wilderness. We've been talking about things from their lives because the Bible says that they are given as our instruction for those who live at the end of ages or the end time. So we've been looking at their story and then the generation that possessed the promised land to learn what we need to do in our everyday lives so we can possess the promises of God. You know, everyone gets excited at the beginning of the year, the prophetic word of the Lord for the year. They love to say new year, new me. They love to say all these things. But if you're not the person that can receive the promises, it doesn't matter what the Lord said because you won't receive it. So we've been working on the last five weeks to become the people who can receive the promises. Not just be excited that there is a promise. We're working on receiving the promise. So we don't get through mid of the year, it's like, oh, I wonder what that word was. Why does it never work for me? We don't want that to be our story by the end of the year. It's like, yep, it was everything God said it was. It is a year of fullness. It's a year of overflow. It's a year of glory. It's a year of the Holy Ghost and fire. We receive everything God has for us. Amen? So we've been looking for different principles, and we're going to stay in that same mindset, but I'll show you a different principle from the Word of God. And so one of the things we talked about last week were giants. We talked about in the Bible, there are several giants in the Bible. Everybody knows Goliath, but there are several giants in the Bible. We even saw last week how there are armies of giants. And we talk about when you're going into the promised land, it's not that's your retirement place. There are fights in the promised land. Everybody wants to live in their purpose. Everyone wants to experience God's best. But you have to understand there are giants that are trying to keep you from receiving God's best. There are giants that are trying to oppress you and keep you from receiving God's best. There are giants that want to deny your rights to what God has promised you. And we talked about how the different systems of this world are designed to enslave and keep believers down. And that there are giants in the land today. And so what type of giants? We call systematic racism a giant. We call gender bias in the workplace a giant. Some of you ladies, you're working hard under the blessing of God and you don't get paid what you're supposed to. Yeah, y'all looked as shocked as you did last week when I actually said it. That's a giant. We looked at age discrimination as a giant. People not wanting to promote you because you're too young or you're too old. We looked at different things that could be giants in front of you, but we're now starting this month to look at things how you can take down giants. So if you missed last week, I encourage you to get that message. We put all of our messages on our podcast and our website for free so you can listen to it and grow in your faith. We give all of the notes so you can go over the notes during the week and grow in faith so you can take on some giants yourselves and that you can walk in victory because you're an overcomer. Say, I'm an overcomer. <laughs> Say, I'm more than a conqueror through him that loves me. Say, I'm on the winning side. 
Say, all I do is win. See, the church has to have the confidence like some rappers do. It's time out for the church going, well, I don't know what God's going to do for me. Please have more confidence than that. Like walk in the building, you have all hands go up because I walked in. But that is confidence. Yes, they made a sweet beat and people dance. But how about everything I touch works? Because I'm a blessed person. Wherever I go, things have to turn in my favor because God is on my side. I'm walking with God to such a point that even my mistakes prosper. Even though I messed up, God says, I got you, and he turns it for my good. It's time out for the church being defeated, having the head hanging down, but he's a lifter of our head, so we're walking in victory. We're not accidents going somewhere to happen. We're victory going somewhere to happen. We're miracles going somewhere to happen. We're an answer prayer going somewhere to happen. We have to have a different self-image. We have to find our identity in Christ if we expect to take on giants and win and change our culture. It's time for us to take what God has promised us. It's time for us to possess the promised land. No matter what people have told you all throughout your life saying you can't do it, that might be a giant in your mind. Whatever reason they told you, everyone in here has a reason someone told you why you can't be who God has called you to be. That might be a giant before you, but believe that by the end of February, that giant would have fell at your feet. Giants don't have to keep you down. You're in Christ. You're more than a conqueror. So Genesis 14. And so... Last Saturday night, when I began to study on giants, I had a really Bible nerdy moment. I'm like, wow, how many giants are in the Bible? So I'm looking at my Bible, the Hebrew Bible, all these notes, finding all these different giants all throughout the Old Testament. And then I found one of the second times giants are mentioned. Usually giants are known as formidable foes, and great people of faith take them down. But when you get to Genesis 14, there's this king by the name of Chedor Laomer. It takes so long to say his name, for the rest of the day I'm calling him King C. <laughs> king C is a mighty conqueror. He has conquered this entire area in modern-day Iraq and surrounding areas. He is the baddest king alive. He calls all these nations to pay him tribute. And they do for a number of years. And then at a certain year, they said, we don't want to do it anymore. And so 11 months later, he says, y'all think you're bad by yourself? I'm going to come and show you why y'all paid me tribute. So he goes on a march, and no one can stop him. Every nation, every city, every army that comes up against him falls. And so you keep looking at all these different names especially when you get to verse 5 and verse 6. And when you study out these different cities and where they are, these aren't just normal cities and strong cities. Some of these cities are cities of giants with armies of giants. King C wouldn't even walk with God, but his military might was so bad he took down armies of giants by himself, marching over people. No one can stay. By the time he walked past them, everyone was bowing down to him and his army. But he made one mistake. Say one mistake. When he's getting his revenge, he happens to mess with the wrong family. 
He's capturing everybody. Takes down Sodom, takes down Gomorrah. They're running and falling in slime pits, trying to escape, hiding in caves. And he captures a guy named Lot. Lot was Abraham's nephew. You know, they knew who Abraham was. They probably think, we got Lot. Abraham's going to pay us a lot of money to get Lot back. Because they all knew Abraham had money. They didn't think he could fight, but they knew he had money. So one of the escapees, one of the fugitives, runs back and tells Abraham. He escaped the battle at Sodom and Gomorrah and said, hey, they took your nephew captive. Now, what did this blessed man do? Now, we all know Abraham's blessed, right? Abraham is really blessed. We sing about the blessing of Abraham because that's how blessed he was. So what did this blessed man do? Look at Genesis 14. Verse 14. Actually, back up to verse 13. And there came one that had escaped and told Abram the Hebrew, Abraham, for he dwelt in the plain of the Amorite, brother of Esco and brother Enner, and these were confederate with, with Abraham. In other words, he was chilling with his allies. The blessed man had allies. Pay attention to that. And when Abram heard that his brother or relative, as it is in the Hebrew, was taken captive, he armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318, and pursued them unto Dan. When I was looking in the Hebrew, they translated disciples. These aren't just people who work for Abraham. These are people who believe just like Abraham believes. The whole house follows God. Now, you got to think, Abraham, herdsmen, they grow crops, they watch animals. What does this know about fighting? When you study Abraham in the Bible, you think of faith. You think of prosperity. You don't think of a warrior. But he has 318 guys in his house, and he arms them and says, let's go to battle. What are these 318 guys and Abraham's allies going to do against someone who took down armies of giants, cities of giants, and this whole region is paying him tribute? They attack by night. Wait a minute. They don't have night goggles. Who taught them night warfare? Who taught them how to fight? The blessing of God. So what do they do? They pursue King C and his army. And at night, wage war on this massive army who they're outnumbered by. And do you know what the Bible calls what happens? It calls it a slaughter. It wasn't even close. When we look at verses 14 through 18. 318 people, Abraham and his allies, against the baddest king that existed at this point, who took down everyone, fell down because he messed with the wrong family. You need to have an attitude when Satan messes with your family. He said, you messed with the wrong child. See, some of you would have attitude if a teacher or someone at school messed with your child. You need to have an attitude if Satan tries something. How dare you try to put the flu on my child? How dare you attack somebody in my family? See, just because of that, Satan, you're about to lose somebody. One of the things I do sometimes when the Lord gives me permission, there's something that happened in my life or my family member's life. So, God, I want to lay hands on everybody for healing today. Anybody who needs it, I want revenge. You decided to make one person in my family sick, I'm about to get 30 people free. Try me. I want to become like Jesse. He says, I'm too expensive to mess with. 
So every time he messes with me, Satan has to know, if he, I mess with him, that means I'm going to lose this, that, and the other. I want you to calculate before you dare to try me again. Why? Only people with a victorious mindset can look at Satan that way. You have to be an overcomer in your thinking so that you know that you can handle whatever Satan throws your way. Because you understand it's a battle. He will try you. But you have to realize you're more than a conqueror and you're going to win. So Abraham, his 318, and his allies come back from battle. What is the first thing he does? Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brings forth bread and wine. That's covenant items. And he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram, the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the Most High God, which has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him tithes of all. And so people want to talk about tithing. Well, tithing's under the law. Yeah, it is, but it's before the law too. This is over 400 years before the law. You look at Genesis 28, Jacob tithes. That's before the law. Then tithing is under the law. Then tithing is after the law because you read the book of Hebrews, which is in the New Testament. How many know the book of Hebrews in the New Testament? It's okay. You got saved last week. You don't know. But if you don't, the book of Hebrews is in the New Testament. And it says, today we give tithes to whom it is witnessed that he is alive. There's only one person we witness all the time that he is alive, and that's Jesus. So tithing is a consistent theme throughout the entire Bible. Even if you want to study the concept that there is part of what I work and gain and produce that doesn't belong to me, that there's a part that belongs to God, and there's a part that belongs to me, that concept does not start with Abraham. It goes back to the Garden of Eden. God told Adam, you are to work every tree of the garden. You are to tend every tree of the garden. You are to produce from every tree of the garden, but you're not supposed to eat from every tree of the garden, which meant the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Adam was supposed to work and harvest, but let that fruit stay aside. Why? That was his tithe. So part of Adam's original sin was the violation of the tithe, touching what didn't belong to him. So Abraham, he had a team. He had a squad. Even though Abraham was blessed, he didn't get the victory by himself. He had allies and he had a team. Go to Exodus chapter 17. Exodus 17, verse 8. We know Abraham is blessed. Let's talk about Moses. Now, Moses is anointed. How many people believe that Moses was anointed? If you don't believe that, you go march up to a sea and lift a stick above it and tell it apart. Do you know what God told Moses? Moses is giving a big faith speech at the Red Sea. He says, you're never going to see the Egyptians again today. God is going to deliver you. He's going to do all these amazing things. And God replied, Moses, why are you talking to me? How would you like that, making a big faith speech? And God's like, what are you talking to me for? And you know what he said next? What do you have in your hand? What have I been teaching you this last year and a half? You stretch it out and you divide it. The, the, the rod always represented the anointing. He says, you're anointed, use it. You stretch that anointing and you tell that sea what to do. And so it listened. And they walked past on dry ground. How was anointed was he? 
he's dealing with hard-headed people who first wanted, were surprised when they were hungry. He prayed and Krispy Kreme donuts <laughs> just fell from the sky with no additional calories. How many of you know how wonderful it would be every day to wake up, God dropped Krispy Kreme donuts from heaven for you to eat, and it was the perfect nutritional meal. Talk about anointed. They were tired of eating that. So he prayed, and fried chicken came from the other way. And I said it was so much, it went up to their knees. Talk about anointed. You don't need a fish dinner when Moses is around. Moses, let's go pray for five minutes. We're going to have enough food for everybody outside. Moses was anointed. Look at Exodus 17, verse 8. Then came Amalek and fought with Israel and Rephidim. He attacks God's people. And Moses said unto Joshua, and this is not too long they got out of Egypt, choose us out men and go out fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. What is that? The same anointing he used to part the Red Sea. So Joshua did as Moses had said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses and Aaron and Hur went to the top of the hill. And it came to pass, when Moses held up his hand, that Israel prevailed. But when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. So I'm going to use one of my really good friends, Joseph, for an example. This is one of my really, really good friends. Came down from Grand Rapids. He's a youth pastor in Grand Rapids, by the way. So just lift your hands up. Now, how long can he keep it up? Keep his hands lifted up. Oh, well, no, no cheating. Let's see. I know you do CrossFit, so you can do longer than everyone else. I know. You're super fit. I get it. It's moving a little bit. So think about this. As long as his hands are like that, Israel wins. But sometimes it's not five-minute battle. It goes on some hours and hours and hours. And it's tilting just a little bit now. He makes a point that he works out. I get it. <laughs> but after a while, it's going to go more, more. And Israel's going to start to lose, right? And it's not just the losing the battle. Anytime Moses' arms are down, people die. But when his arms are up, people win. Thanks, Joe. So Aaron and her come up with an idea. So we have to keep the man of God's hands lifted. Because as long as his arms are lifted, the anointing is working, and we can win the day. There's no way this man is going to stay standing. He's fit. He's great. But he can't stay standing all day. He can't keep his arms up all day. So what do they do? They bring a rock, say, Moses, sit down, and we'll hold your arms up. That although Moses was super anointed, Israel couldn't experience a total victory unless his team held up his arms. That's how the anointing was able to do its job from first one person to now a whole army because the man of God's arms were strengthened and he had a team with him. Now let's go to the next chapter, Exodus 18. Exodus 18. 
Exodus 18, verse 13. And it came to pass in the morning that Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood by Moses from the morning unto the evening. And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did to the people, he said, what is this thing that you do to the people? Why sit you yourself alone and all the people stand by you from morning unto evening? And Moses said unto his father-in-law, because the people come unto me to inquire of God. When they have a matter, they come unto me and I judge between one and another. And I do make them to know the statutes of God and his laws. And Moses' father-in-law said unto him, the thing which you do is not good. You will surely wear away. You are about to kill yourself. Both you and this people that are with you. Not only are you going to die, but all these people. For this thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to perform it yourself alone. Say alone. Hearken now unto my voice. I will give you counsel, and God shall be with you. Be thou for the people to Godward, and you may as bring the causes unto God. And you shall teach them the ordinances and the laws, and you shall show them the way and wherein they must walk and the work that they must do. Moreover, you shall provide out of all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands and rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties and rulers of tens. And let them judge the people at all seasons, and it shall be that every great matter that they shall bring unto you, both, but every small matter they shall judge, so shall it be easier for yourself, and you shall bur- they shall bear the burden with you. If you shall do this thing, and God commands you so, then you shall be able to endure, and all this people shall also go to their place in peace. So what is he saying? Yes, Moses, you're anointed, but you can't do this by yourself. Appoint a team. The hard metals, you handle. The light things, let them handle. The wisdom of God says you need a team. Even though you're anointed, you need a team. Go to Numbers 11. Let's look at how anointed was Moses. Because we've seen all the things he did. Numbers chapter 11. Start with verse 10. Numbers chapter 11, verse 10. Another time the people got began to cry and rhyme and complain. It happened very often. And you look at verse 10, Moses is now annoyed and so is God. That's a bad position to be in. God's upset with you and your pastor's upset with you. Because <laughs> before when God's upset, Moses would pray. Other time Moses would be upset, God would calm him down. Now they're both upset looking at each other. And Moses begins to go off. He gets really mouthy with God. He says, God, what have you done to me? I thought you liked me. You gave me these whining, complaining people. Did I give birth to them? Did I nurse them? No, this was your idea. You got to read the Bible. This is what he's saying. He is going off. This is not a small conversation. Like, God, we need to have a conversation. Moses is going off. I was fine on the backside of the desert. 
You called me out in fire. This is a great idea. Deliver your people, you said. It's going to be great, you said. It's going to be fun, you said. I go down to Egypt. Pharaoh's acting a hot mess. I get to stay in Egypt for a year and a half. Now I'm bringing out the whining and complaining. This wasn't my responsibility. I didn't give birth to them. I didn't nurse them. What you going to do? This is Moses. See, sometimes y'all just read over stuff. You got to imagine if you were Moses. You have to put yourself in the Scripture. And then he ends the conversation. He says, if this is how it has to be, kill me. I'm done. I volunteer, lightning smite me, oh, holy smiter. This is what Moses is saying. He's done. He's at the end of his rope. What does God tell him? And the Lord said unto Moses, gather unto me 70 men of the elders of Israel. Aren't you glad God can handle our crazy? Whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them unto the tabernacle of the congregation, that they may stand there with me. And I will come down and talk with you there. And I will take of the spirit which is upon you, and I will put it upon them. And they shall bear the burden of the people with you. You should not bear it yourself alone. Verse 25. And the Lord came down in a cloud and spake unto him and took of the spirit that was upon him and gave it unto the 70 elders. And it came to pass that when the spirit rested upon them, they prophesied and did not cease. How anointed was Moses? He was so anointed. God took the anointing that was on him put it on 70 others, and Moses anointed didn't skip a beat. Even though he was that anointed, it wasn't enough. He's at this point now saying, God, just take me out now. Right? He needed a bigger team. He said, I couldn't do this by myself. And God said, you're not supposed to do it by yourself. So I'm going to take what's on you and put it on them too. That's what he did with Abraham. That's why Lot was blessed. God blessed Abraham, so Lot got blessed. That's how the whole army won the battle, because what was on Abraham went on them. Go to Joshua chapter 1. We spent a lot of time looking at Joshua chapter 1, verse 1 through 8 in the previous weeks. So let's pick up with verse 9. Joshua 1, verse 9, God concludes saying, Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, he gives them different instructions. Here's what you need to do. We're about to go possess the land that God's given us. But then in verse 12, he addresses a special group of people, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Now, it gives them a different message because... They are possessing the land of the giant Og and a few others we talked about in the weeks before. They already have their inheritance. They have no reason to cross the Jordan in battle. This is God's already blessed us. We're good. But they told Moses, we're going to keep fighting to our brothers and sisters get everything that belongs to them too. We're not going to retire. We're not going to stop until everyone gets what God has promised them. So Joshua addresses them to remind them of what they said to God and to Moses that day. And he says, remember what you said. You told Moses this. You told Moses that. 
You said you wouldn't stop until the Lord has given your brethren rest as he's given you, and they have also possessed the land which the Lord your God gives them. And you shall return to the land of your possession and enjoy it, which Moses the Lord's servant gave you on this side of the Jordan toward the sun rising. But notice what they said. And they answered Joshua saying, all that you command us, we will do. Wherever you send us, we will go. According as we hearken to Moses in all things, we will listen to you. Only the Lord your God be with you as he was with us. Whosoever he be that rebels against your commandment and will not listen to your words and all that you command him, we'll take care of him. We'll make it do what it do. Only be strong and of a good courage. So they're telling Joshua, Joshua, you do what God said. We have your back. You're not in this by yourself. We're with you until it's over. Joshua, you're not leading these people alone. We have your back. Joshua had a team. Go to Judges chapter 4. So when you get to Judges chapter 4, they're in the promised land. We may teach on Judges this year. We may not. But one of the things you understand about the book of Judges, it's a circle. It's a cycle. They're in the promised land. They're serving God. They start to prosper. They start living well. They start feeling themselves. They start worshiping other gods. The enemy comes in because they're judged. And then for a generation, they serve the enemy. They cry out to God. God sends a deliverer by the name of a judge. Rescues them. They serve God. They start feeling themselves. They serve another God. The enemy comes in. They cry out to God. It's a cycle. You know, people have... People live like that. They only come to church when they're in trouble, when they need a miracle. God, I need you to do something now. Then he does it, then they disappear, then they come back again. You know, people never change. So, Judges 4, verse 4. They're in a time of trouble. And Deborah, a prophetess, the woman of God, she judged Israel at that time. She dwelt under the palm tree, and that's where people came for her judgment. She gave them wisdom. She gave advice. She judged the people of Israel. She represented God to them. And she sent and called Barak, the son of Abinam, of Kadesh, Naphtali, and said unto him, Hath not the Lord God of Israel commanded, saying, past tense, didn't God already tell you this? Go and draw toward Mount Tabor and take with you 10,000 men of the children of Naphtali and of the children of Zebulun. And I will draw unto you to the river Kishon Sisera, the captain of Jabin's army. These are the people who are oppressing them right now. And with his chariots and his multitude, I will deliver him into your hands. So God had already told the general what he needed to do. He says, you go out to battle, and I'll bring the enemy there, and you're going to win. Barak did nothing. He's like, nope. And so the prophet says, did, didn't God already tell you this? And Barak replies, look, if you go with me, I'll go to battle. But if you don't, I'm staying right here with you. Because God's not going to let nothing happen to you. If you in the chariot, I'm good. Something happens, I may duck behind you because I know God's going to protect you, prophetess. This is his mentality. I ain't going to battle if you ain't with me, woman of God. She said, fine, I'll go to battle. But you aren't going to get glory or fame from this battle. God's going to give it to a woman. So they go to battle. They call the, for, for the army. They call Israel, come and help us battle. When he get to verse 14, 
And Deborah said unto Barak, Up, for this is the day which the Lord has delivered Sisera into your hand. Is not the Lord gone out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Terror and 10,000 men after him. And the Lord discomfited Sisera and all his chariots and all his hosts and with the edge of the sword. So what happened is the reason why they're a mighty army is because they had iron chariots and people couldn't stop them. So they're thinking, we're about to rout these people on foot, and they're coming down, and all of a sudden, the river begins to rise. All of a sudden, the, it gets muddy, and their chariots can't move. They forgot God controls everything. When you read the next chapter, it says God calls it to rain. He began to fight from heaven, so now all of their chariots are stuck. So Israel runs in to take the victory. They're defeating them. Jabin, this mighty general, enemy, he is running for his life. He says, well, at least I'll escape. Everybody's running. Israel's taking the day. Barak is leading his army to take the charge. So he's tired from running. He's tired from battle. And Jabin sees a tent of someone he thinks is his ally. And there's this sweet little woman probably. Doesn't say how she is, but I kind of imagine like a sweet, welcoming woman. Says, Jabin, you look tired. Just come lay down right here. Just, just lay down. You need some warm milk? It's okay. Here's a blanket. No one will see you if they run by. So it says he passes out, tired from battle. And here comes a sweet little woman. Maybe has her hair in a Pentecostal bun. <laughs> Tips toes over to the general. You asleep, baby? All right. Boom! Nails a nail through his head till he sticks to the ground. Walks back outside. Hey, Israel, I got him. Now, wait a minute. It took Deborah, Barak, the army, and Jael to win the day. It wasn't enough for the woman of God and the general to be there. There was still a team. God called for more people to help his cause. God needed people to take the day. But look at chapter 5. Because chapter 5, Deborah begins to sing and prophesy. Begin to sing about what God just did. Saying, praise you the Lord for avenging Israel when the people willingly offered themselves. Who are we talking about those 10,000 people from Zebulun and Neptali? They willingly offered themselves to call God. Okay, God, if you want us to go to battle, we're going to go to battle. It looks impossible, but if you said we're going to do it, we're going to do it, and we're going to give ourselves to your cause. Hear, O ye kings, give ear, O ye princes. I even, I will sing unto the Lord. I will sing praise to the Lord God of Israel. Lord, you went out of Mount Seir. He, she begins to recount everything that God did, how she, he changed nature, caused things to change so they could have the victory. But you get to verse 9, and she begins to talk about different things. She's giving different people props for what they did. But when you get to verse 15, it says, And the princes of Issachar were with Deborah, even Issachar and also Barak. He was sent on foot into the valley, for the divisions of Reuben there were great thoughts of heart. Or Reuben, which was a tribe of Israel, there was a lot of indecision. It says, why did you stay in the sheepfolds to listen to your sheep go by? For the divisions of Reuben, there were great searchings of heart. 
Gilead, one of the cities of Israel, stayed beyond the Jordan. Why did Dan, another tribe, remain in their ships? Asher continued on the seashore, stayed in their nice places. Zebulun and Naphtali were a people that jeoparded their lives unto the death in the high places of the field. So what's she saying? Reuben, Gilead, Dan, Asher? Where were you? Yeah, we had the victory, but God was looking for you to step up. What was more important than rising to the cause of the Lord? What was so important that you had to stay and listen to how your sheep sounded? You know how they sound. What was so important that you had to stay in your boat? What was so important that you couldn't leave home and respond to the call of God? Yeah, we had the victory, but God wanted you to take part in it too. That's what the prophetess is saying. How many times has God, God called people and some people respond and some don't? God gives the victory, but God wanted more people to experience the victory where they weren't willing to wittingly offer themselves. Go to 1 Samuel 22. So we've seen Abraham, we've seen Moses, now we've seen Deborah and Barak. Let's talk about King David. Now we all know King David's anointed. We know, all know he's blessed. We know he is favored by God. He is a prophet. He is a king. He is a warrior. He has a lot of issues. That's another message when we talk about David. He's got tons of issues. But aren't you glad that God can use you even if you've got issues? Sometimes you just realize you got issues. Look at your neighbor and say, you have issues. Look at your other neighbor and say, you have a whole subscription. First Samuel 22. So David's on the run for his life. Before he becomes king, he's running for his life a lot. First, he takes down Goliath, works for King Saul. King Saul's happy that he has another mighty person on his team. He thinks he's finally going to beat the Philistines now. And then he gets jealous of who God sent to be a blessing to him. And he begins to try to kill him. So David is running for his life. And so he's hiding in this particular place. And chapter 22, verse 1, he says he escapes to a cave. When his brethren and his, all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And then who else beside his family? And everyone that was in distress and everyone that was in debt and everyone that was discontented gathered themselves unto him. So this is not like all the great people of Israel became his army. It was everybody that nobody wanted. Everybody that was stressed out. Everybody that was pan had a panic attack. Everybody that owed somebody something and was trying to escape the creditors. Because if it's a little debt, you're not going down. But if you're trying to escape someone from calling you to collect, you know, that David guy, <laughs> he sounds really good. So let's go talk to him right now. And everyone that was discontented, grumbling, complaining, not content with life, gathered themselves unto him. But notice the next phrase, and he became a captain over them. And there were with him about 400 men. This is the beginning of David's army. 
you might think, this is not a good start. But wait a minute. Is David anointed? Is David blessed? Does David have a covenant with God? So what was on David goes on the rest of the army. Because they didn't stay this way. Because David became a captain over them. Let me just tell you about a few of those guys. Go to 2 Samuel 23, what happened to them. Because association is important. Because if you associate correctly, the anointing will flow. You have to be in the right place to receive the right grace. 2 Samuel 23. Verse 8. So these be the names of the mighty men whom David had. It calls these in other translations the three. Then it says they were the three, but then there was a 30. The three were the greatest, but then the 30 were right after them. So all these people became champions, or there were these some guys that stood out. Because of what happened to them when David became their captain, when they associated with the anointing. So it says, here was the first. What did he do? He took one spear and took down 800 people in one battle. We're amazed that Samson took a jawbone of a donkey and took down 300 people. This dude had one spear and took down 800 guys. What about the next guy? And this is talking about what one thing they did, but they were known for doing mighty things. The second guy, everybody left David and him in battle. And so they fought back to back. The second gentleman fought until his sword stuck to his hand. And they won the day, but what were they fighting over? A field of beans. Most of y'all would have left the beans and says, who cares? I'll be good. But the thing is, you have to understand the concept. If you let the enemy take your beans, one day he will take your enchiladas and your burritos. And apparently this guy liked enchiladas and burritos. And he fought. And they won. Just the two of them defeated an entire army. They became mighty men. The ones who people call discontent, distressed, panic attack, and debt, running from people, mighty men. You keep reading about them. These are the guys who take on impossible situations. These three, when you read about them, it says David, they were surrounded by the enemy, and David was thirsty, and he just happened to say, man, I would really like the water that's from that spring in Bethlehem that has the best water in Israel. He just made a comment. These three said, we're going to get the king some water. They are surrounded by an army. They don't care. The three fight their way out, fight their way to the spring, get a cup of water, fight their way back, and say, hey, dude, you said you were thirsty? And David didn't expect it because he's like, you really did that for me? Because I'm going to give this to the Lord and pour it out before the Lord because you risked your life just so I can have a cup of water. That's not the same people who are discontent and debt and distress. Something happened when they associated with the anointing. It transformed them completely. 
to where they didn't recognize themselves by the time they're at the end of their life. You keep reading these sto- stories of the 30. There's one guy, he's so strong, one of David's mighty men. He was out walking and it was snowing and there was a lion in the pit. He says, well, I'm going to hop in this pit. One person's coming out, either me or this lion. He took down the lion on a snowy day, hopped out, went on with his business. It talks about how they took on giants. It's about David's nephew was one of them. He took down a giant that had six fingers and six toes on each hand. It talks about how some of them saved David's life in battle. There was another giant trying to kill David, and one of the guys jumped up and says, no, not today. Boom. David, you need to hang back. I got this. What happened? That anointing began to work. It began to transform these people into mighty people doing amazing things. So now there's not just one champion. There's not just one person doing miracles. Now there's people all throughout the kingdom having a reality. We are victorious. And the thing is, they didn't stay in debt either. Because when you look at the end of David's life, David gives this huge amount to build the temple of God. God says, you can't build it, but your son's going to build it. God says, David says, God, fine, I can't build it, but you didn't say I can't pay for it. So he puts this huge offering that some people say is worth billions of dollars. But then his mighty man says, you know, we're not going to let you give when we don't give. And so they give amounts that are up to hundreds of millions of dollars. But these were the guys running from the creditor. But when they associated with the anointing, when they got in their place, when they put themselves in the place where they're supposed to be, everything about them changed and transformed. When they became the team or squad they were supposed to be under the anointed and blessed leader God called them to be in, God changed everything in their life. He transformed everything in their life so they don't even recognize themselves. They became who God always wanted them to be. So that's Abraham. That's Moses and Joshua and Deborah and Barak and David. But there's one other guy I think you've heard of. Go to Luke chapter 8. There's one other guy, super anointed, super blessed, super amazing. I think you've heard of him before. I hope you have. If not, we'll talk to you about him. We'll fix it today. Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, verse 1. And it came to pass afterward that he, Jesus, went throughout every city and village, preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the 12 were with them. We all knew that Jesus went around with the 12. That was his team. Whenever people think of Jesus in the Bible, the 12 are with them, right? But usually people stop there because that's where the movies and the TV shows stop. The movies and TV shows stop there because they don't want to pair all these extra actors. <laughs> Jesus had a squad with them everywhere. Jesus rolled deep. Sometimes he would sneak away to be by himself, but other times this whole crowd is showing up wherever Jesus goes. Now notice some of the people who are with him. And certain women which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom went seven devils, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod Stewart, and Susanna, and many others. What was their purpose of being with Jesus, which ministered unto him of their substance? So you have future ministers Jesus training, but then you have other people who say, Jesus, we're just going to stay with you and pay for everything. 
Now, Jesus had a treasurer. His name was Judas. When you read the book of John, it says Judas would steal from the treasury. Now, if you got three pennies in the treasury, you don't need a treasurer. And it's very easy to see if you stole one penny. So Jesus had enough money to need a treasurer and enough money that people couldn't tell that Judas was stealing on a regular basis. But then also there's times he didn't even have to touch his treasury because there was a group of people that says, Jesus, don't you dare try to pay for that. I got that. Why? There was a squad that came together and says, Jesus, we are going to finance the mission God gave you. It was a team. But see, that team still wasn't enough. You got the 12, and then you got the squad paying for things. And so when you read the most important pair of Mark chapter 4, which you also see in Luke chapter 8, the people who asked Jesus say, hey, what does that really mean? wasn't just the disciples, the 12. It was the people who had surrounded themselves, associated with that anointing, who got that revelation. It wasn't just the disciples who got the revelation. It was the squad that had dedicated themselves to Jesus. Whatever you go is where I'm going. Whatever you need, I got that. So they got revelation. They got access the crowds didn't get. There's always one level of revelation that comes to the crowd. But those who are closer get greater revelation. Go to Luke chapter 9. Verse 1. Then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and heal the sick. So now it's not enough for Jesus to go to every city by himself. Says, now I need more people going because the time is at hand. So you guys go forward two by two, do everything that I do. So what's going on? There's six teams of disciples and one team of Jesus going places. But that still was enough. How do you know that? Chapter 10, verse 1. After these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place where he himself would come. Why? The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. So I'm sending 70 out. I already sent 12 out, but we still need more people. So while you're going out, pray that more people will go out too. Were they effective? Yes. You see chapter 9, how effective the disciples were. But verse 17 talks about the 70. And the seven returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through your name. Even they have to listen to us. Everything you said came to pass. Jesus developed a team. And what was on him went on them. And yes, it transformed them. Because a lot of times we read about the apostles, the disciples. Oh, they were so perfect. No, they were a hot mess. Read the Gospels. How many fights did Jesus had to break up? John, James, why are you sending your mama to ask me a question? Why are y'all fighting about who's the greatest in the kingdom of God? Matthew, stop trying to take taxes from them. Thomas, we finally believe somebody. There's all, when you read, they're having issues all throughout the times. So in between Jesus' preaching, he's handling them acting like children. They had issues. They all had different personalities. Peter always put his foot in his mouth. But then he had a guy named Simon the Zealot. He was a political person. He was following Jesus, thinking Jesus is about to become king. So think about the most annoying political person you know. And all their Facebook posts, and all their tweets, and all their Instagram posts. That's Simon. He's there every day. 
you know somebody wanted to knock him out. You know they talked about him. So come on, when Jesus is not looking, something's it's okay, Jesus will heal him. He'll be all fine. Peter liked to cuss. He was a wannabe gangster. Why do you say wannabe? He had bad aim. How do you know he had bad aim? He took a sword. You don't try to cut people's ears off. You try to cut their head off. He missed. So they all have issues. Yet Jesus said, follow me. I didn't call you because you're perfect. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. He says, yes, you have issues. Yes, you have mistakes. But if you come stick with me, what's on me is going to get on you, and you're not going to be the same person when I'm through. So Peter, who ran away, who cussed people out, and the thing is when you see who really cussed out, he cussed out the little girl. So he wasn't big and bad in the face of the other two people. When the little girl asked, well, aren't you with Jesus? You're blankety, blank, 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 blank. So he finally got bold when the little girl asked. So these people, see, y'all got to read the Bible like I read the Bible. I'm entertained sometimes, so I like telling Bible stories. I'm really enjoying it. And so on the day of Pentecost, who does God use? Peter. He stands up and preaches the gospel, and he steps into what God called him to be. How did he get to that place? He associated himself with the anointed one himself, and it changed him. And they're still growing because you read the book of Acts, you see when they do things right, you see when they do things wrong. Go to Acts chapter 6. The church is growing by the time you get to Acts chapter 6. You have at least 8,000 believers. 8,000. Miracles, signs, wonders are happening. So Satan's trying to stop it. He got beat down by one anointed. Now there's 8,000 anointed people. What is he going to do? He tries his favorite trick. Racism. Racism, not new, is in the Bible. Aaron and Miriam were mad that Moses married a black woman. It's nothing new. It's all throughout the Bible. It's one of Satan's favorite tricks. It's not just a natural thing. It is a natural thing. So the solution has to be natural as well as spiritual. Racism is a natural problem and a spiritual problem. But one of the things is even though it is a spiritual problem, I'll say this. The spirit or the demon of division's best friend is ignorance. And even if you're not racist, but if you're ignorant, you will partner with that demon. So, well, I'm not racist, but through your ignorance, you share what the racism was trying to accomplish. And so you begin to talk about things you don't know. Well, because I've never seen it, it doesn't exist. That's ignorance. If you've never seen it, just... See, it says, Proverbs says, even stupid people look smart when they're quiet. <laughs> Just go. Mm. See, here's a safe word I use. Interesting. Okay. Mm. Hiya. Gotcha. Don't be party to that demon, whether by being a racist yourself or being ignorant. Choose love, choose forgiveness. 
There's natural things you have to do, but there's also spiritual things. So don't bow down to that spirit. Because what it's trying to do, divide people and make you afraid. And I'll tell you this, we ain't going back to the previous days. You've got to be kidding me. I don't care what you think, what they said on social media, what you hear online, what you hear on the news. We ain't going back to previous days. We're challenging these spirits of racism. Whoever it hides behind, wherever it hides, it will bow down. So Acts chapter 6. And in those days when the number of the disciples were multiplied, there was a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because the widows were neglected in daily ministration. So what are they saying? They're treating one group better than the others because of who they are and where they come from in their history. And so they're calling the apostles together. They called the 12. They says, you need to fix it. And they says, look, y'all need to fix this. They said, we're not going to leave teaching the word and praying so we know what to teach to serve food. So y'all pick from yourselves seven people that got the Holy Ghost, that are full of wisdom, and got a good report. These are the first deacons. What does the word deacon mean? It means to serve. Pick them. We'll lay our hands on them. They'll handle it. Racism is squashed because people stepped up to serve. And then the church is multiplied even more. What happened? The anointing that's now on the apostles is now on these seven deacons. And they all begin to use it because one of them is a man named Philip who became Philip the evangelist. Other was Stephen doing miracle signs and wonders. The apostles are busy praying, teaching somewhere else. And Stephen went, well, let me use this anointing. Oh, you need to be healed. You need to be healed. You need to be healed. What happened? The anointing they associated with began to work on them and transform them. Go to Philippians 4. We'll close here. Philippians 4. This is the book that I'm reading over and over again right now. Verse 14. Notwithstanding, you have well done that you communicated with my affliction. You became a partner with me. Not just you talked to me about what I was going through. You became a partner in my situation and you helped me. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, when I left Philippi and I left that jail, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving but you only. You're the only ones who talk to me about becoming partners in what I do. For even in Thessalonica, you said once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but desire fruit that may abound to your account. Now the thing is, this sounds great, but when you read the rest of the letter, Epaphroditus, the person who's bringing this letter, was sent with a gift to Paul. But it wasn't just Epaphroditus, give the gift and come home. It was Epaphroditus, we can't go help Paul with him every day, but you stay with him and you represent us. And you take this financial gift as well. Then it goes on. But I have all and abounds, I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well 
pleasing to God. So the gift is not just the financial gift that's well-pleasing to God. It's that they partnered up with Paul to help the mission come to pass. But what is one of the things we've seen as we look through Abraham, Moses, Joshua, David, Barak, Deborah, Jael, and Jesus and the apostles? What's on the leader will fall down on the rest. So I'm talking about where there's unity, the anointing will flow from the top of the head, even down to like Aaron's beard, to the fold of the garments. So what is Paul about to say? The same thing. He says, but my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in the anointed one, Jesus, in his anointing. So what is he saying? The same way God meets my needs, he is going to meet your needs because you've now partnered with me. Now it's not just the anointing that's on me. The same anointing that's on me now comes on you to help you do whatever you need to do. When you associate with the right place, that anointing will come upon you. If you're in the right place, the right grace will come upon you. Now, let me talk to you. Now, we have some first-time guests here. Love you guys, but I'm about to talk to my congregation for a second. I'm not Moses, not Abraham, not David, not Deborah, not Barak, not Jael, not Jesus, not the apostles. I ain't Paul. But I am the anointed, blessed man God's put at this house. And what God puts on me is supposed to flow to you. So power you see working on Sunday and Wednesday, don't think that's great, it happens at church. Expect that power to work for you in whatever you need it to do. You don't even have to know all the right terms. You may be new to the body of Christ, you don't even know what to call everything. But say, that power I saw Sunday, I needed to fix this situation. Go and do it. That's faith. That's enough. That begins to work on your situation. But in order to have the highest level of the flow, you have to make sure you associate. And that's more than just coming to church. See, I checked in at church. Selfie. I did my spiritual duty. Jesus, see Jesus, bless me this week. I went to church. Well, that's great. Cars go into the garage, but hey. It's about associating in the right place. And so the thing is, part of the association is praying. I need you all to pray. Every day. Not just, oh, bless Pastor Jesus. Just bless him right now. Pray. Not just on Sunday. Like, oop, let me pray before I run into this building because I forgot to pray this week. You got to pray every day. Because the praying church makes the difference. But then it's also about serving. Because I told you guys today to wear the colors or the jersey of your favorite team. So I wore the colors of my favorite team, Team Faith. Because I can't do this by myself. I ain't crazy. The reason why we can do what we do now is because we have some wonderful volunteers who have offered themselves willingly to the call of God on this house. Every week, we have between 70 and 110 volunteers serving to make a difference. Ones you see and ones you don't see. But the thing is, it's not supposed to be just them. There's the rest of you in this building. The one of you looking away as I'm talking. 
but that it's also giving's concern. Now, this is not to everybody, because some of you tithe, you give offering, you give generously, you give liberally. God bless you, thank you, God's going to reward you. But other y'all like to tip Jesus. Well, I got blessed a little bit today. Here's a dollar, Jesus. You know who you are. I don't know who you are because I don't look at names. But you know who you are. And to really associate, you have to pray, you have to serve, and you have to give. If you want the benefit of what God has put in this house. It's time out for holding Well, I'll see what happens. Because, see, a lot of people is like, well, I don't know if this church is going to survive. Guess what? Here we is. I don't know if they're going to build that building. Guess what? It's here. So we're here. But it's time for everybody to do their part. Not just the ministry being carried by 20% of the church. Imagine what we can do with everybody stepped up to the plate like David's mighty man and says, we have something to do. We have to make Jesus famous. We have to bless neighborhoods. We got to get people saved. We have to change our city. We have to make a difference in this community. What happened if everybody grabbed that passion? We're going to do what we got to do. Things would change. It's not just for the 70 to 110 to serve every week. It's all of us. Because if we're all serving, nobody's going to get burned out. If everybody's serving, everybody's looking for something new to do. It's like, man, there's so many people serving. I want to create something new so we can bless more people. But it takes everybody doing it. Everybody praying. Everybody giving. Everybody serving. It's time out for, well, we'll see Jesus. Here he is. Let's see right now. If you want the benefit of what God's doing in this house, you have to partner. You have to become a dedicated part, especially as we go into this new land. We have so many opportunities in front of us, so many new things in front of us. People who don't even go here, people, community leaders, are asking us, we know you got to have plans for this, what you're about to do. Like, they're using their faith for us. And they're asking us questions like, yeah, we're going to do that, but we thought five years from now. But they're like, like what are you going to do? Shh, you can tell us. <laughs> we're excited. I'm talking about community leaders, county leaders. Saying, we're excited for you. We've heard what you guys have done, how you guys are involved with the community in Smyrna. We're looking for you to do it here so all the other churches will copy too. They're saying, we can't get churches to do what you do. And you're moving in and asking how you can help? They're asking these things. We have such opportunity in front, of, in front of us. But the opportunity of a lifetime can only be seized during the lifetime of the opportunity. That means everybody has to do their part. So you already heard the cheers from the awesome team faith in here. But it's time for the rest of y'all to join the squad. It's time to squad up. It's time for just, look at all the other amazing people serving. It's time for everybody. It's time for everybody to serve. It's time for everybody to pray. It's time for everybody to give. Not going, well, maybe Jesus. No. 
you know you got it. You may have gave it to Netflix first, but you know you had it. It's not, do you have something? It's what's more important. It's about thinking. It's about budgeting. It's about planning. That I'm going to partner, so I'm going to give. So well, I'm too busy. We all busy. Is anyone here not busy? We always busy. But do you know what the people who serve do? They budget their time so they can help. And there's some people, because of their schedule, they travel back and forth. They said, I only can serve one time a month. We got you. And so they come in and serve. There's even people say, hey, I work on the weekends, but I want to come during the week and help out. So they come and help out. What are they doing? They're partnering with the cause. That even though schedules may change, we're our, ch- our dedication does not change. And it's time for the entire church to catch up with it. So we're going to end our experience a little bit differently. And don't y'all try to sneak out on me. <laughs> and so, you can go ahead and prepare your offering envelope if you want to. But every one of you who is not serving, Minister Tanisha and Minister Isom are going to be passing out volunteer applications. Notice I said, every one of I hope you enjoyed today's message. We never want to close a broadcast without giving you an opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. So if you've never asked him into your heart, you've never made him your Lord and Savior, pray this prayer with me today and mean it from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that he died for me, but on the third day, you raised him from the dead. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me now. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your spirit and help me to live this Christian life. If you prayed that prayer and meant it from your heart, we believe you've been born again. We ask that you email us at info at FCCGA.com. That's FCCGA.com to let us know about the decision you've made for Christ today. Have an amazing day.